HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. It's finally hitting us. We, I, we, it was a terrible winter this year, and it lasted for what seemed like an eternity. But now we're finally moving in the spring, and I can't think of a better beverage to have other than beer, of course, uh, in this kind of weather than a good old gin and tonic. And to speak with me today on the show, I have my good buddy Stephen D'Angelo from Greenhook Ginsmith. It's a fairly new gin company in New York City. Uh, in Brooklyn specifically, that has been really spreading like wildfire. Yeah, I, I you know, I, how long ago did you start, Stephen? First of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, we started in. Um, we actually launched our first bottle was sold in February 2012. Um, we were planning it for you know a few years prior to that, but that was actually when we sold our first bottles was in February 12. So it's been. You know, not quite two and a half years. It's been about two years and a quarter, I guess. It's crazy, man. I, yeah, you know, it's gone fast. I feel like everywhere I go, there's a bottle on the bar, and that's uh, that's very, <laughs> very impressive, man. Thank you, thank you. Well, yeah. we, you know, we've had a lot of support in New York. Obviously, um, it's a, it's a it's a great market to be building a brand. You know, to be your your home market because there's obviously a lot of uh, potential out there. Yeah. You know? I always say this is this ain't a vacation town, man. No, you're here to like work your ass off. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, you've definitely been doing that. Yeah, it's been um, it's been an interesting ride. I mean, it doesn't even seem like it's been that long, actually. I mean, uh, I'm just thinking back. It actually probably the first time I came into prime meats. It doesn't seem like it's well over two years ago at this point. You know? No, not at all. Yeah, man. it's pretty crazy. It's, yeah. it's been highly successful, man. It's crazy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So I mean. Speaking of hard work, I mean, like, dude, it takes a lot to build a distillery, and like, it's. It's uh, something that a lot of people would like not really go for, man. So, like, what what was the inspiration for getting into that? Yeah, well, actually, I, I told somebody the other day, if I knew then what I know now, I don't know if I'd be. Yeah, exactly. Man. Um, yeah, you know, building a distillery is tough, especially in New York, though, because you got you know 
rightfully so with tons of regulation. I mean, you got regulations not only in the federal level, but the state level, but you also here have the, um, you know, the local level. You got the building department, fire department. You got a lot of um, a lot of obstacles to be dealing with. So, I mean, from inception, just like sort of coming up with the idea to the time that we actually sold our first bottle, we're pretty close to three years, actually. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's um, building. The, there's so many things that go into you know, a lot of red tape. A lot of red tape, yeah. And then, you, and then you just open your doors. That doesn't mean yeah. you sold the bottle yet at that yeah, point. Yeah, so totally. It's a, it's a high risk to, situation. It's, seems a, like. it's definitely high risk. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, high reward as well. But that takes uh, takes time, you know. Yeah, I mean, and actually, uh, speaking of high risk and high reward, I mean, you kind of came from that world, right? Before, yeah, I did. Yeah, my back, you know, after I graduated school, I um, I went to work in the markets. I was an inter dealer broker on um, in the money markets, capital markets. We did uh, interest rates. Um, money market products, stuff like that. So after, um, you know, sort of in after Lehman Brothers went down and that was no longer a uh, a fun career to be in, I, you know, I was still in my late 20s and I wasn't really obviously looking at packing it in and anything, but I was started working on this business plan, a few business plans, but this one was obviously really uh, interesting. There was a lot of stuff going on, like uh, the guys upstate, Tuttletown, um, they were sort of just getting on, just starting to hit their stride. And um, as I started sort of, you know, working on this plan, I became obsessed with it, of course, you know, which mm-hmm. you have to be to get a business like this up sure. and running. Um, but yeah, it's been, um, you know, it's been around the clock. 24-7, obviously, it's the only way to do it. Yeah, man. No sleep yeah. till Brooklyn. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, um, but it's an interesting landscape of what's going on now. And, um, you know, I think there's something like maybe close to 40 distilleries in the state now, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more than that. But um, I obviously, I'm biased, but I, I tend to think that the ones um, locally are, out of, you know, out of all the distilleries coming up around the country are really doing some great things. Well, I think, I think a lot of the distilleries that are in... Uh, New York and around here, I think they're more like classically minded. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not a lot of like bullshit products coming out, like you know your like lemon cookie cream liqueurs and like yeah. stuff like that. It's it's all like you know even even the liqueurs that are coming out of like uh, Sorel and like uh, Cacao Prieto and things like that. They're like really remarkable products. Yeah, well, yeah. one of the reasons is you, yeah, you wouldn't be able to sell crap in this market is the no, best reason why. they see right through it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're not going to, you know, people in this market aren't just going to aren't just going to buy some crap because it's made in Brooklyn, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they might do it once, but they're not going to do it over the long term. And like, yeah, I mean, there's really no point of like I mean like even like there's uh, a lot of distilleries like upstate and people making like I was at the Sheep and Wolf Festival like last year and there are all these like artisanal like liqueurs like fruit liqueurs it's because they have those fruits on their property yeah. and they're like dude let's do something with this yeah you know which is really the whole like spirit if you will of distillation Absolutely. <laughs> it's like let's let's uh save this product before it spoils that's how we started you know yeah. making these spirits in, in the first place absolutely so i think it's really cool to like keep it like super local like that you know like you mentioned Tuttletown, and they like they're making the vodka with like the apples from like their orchard that's like on their property you know it's yeah. it's really cool like I think, the same thing happens in um, you know in Europe. A lot of these um, um, farmers, like in Germany, with the ODV, ODVs and everything, yeah. that's just you know what they sort of had to do. Um, of course, back in the day, you know. Yeah, and and I mean, and you know, we drink a lot of gin, so yeah. <laughs> you're like, you know, I better make some gin. Speaking of, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, I feel like, like you said, hitting the stride. There is. Were you were you actually? How did you get into gin? Were you like a cocktail person, or did you just like like drinking gin and tonic? I was always gin and tonic. Uh, Gin and tonics and martinis, actually. Even you know, um, 
when I was drinking gin, it was sort of like an old man's drink, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I always drank uh, gin and tonic, Tangerine tonic specifically, and I drank um, beef eater martinis. I always loved gin, um, mm -hmm. so that was sort of the reason I'm making gin is because that's always what I love to drink more than anything else. You're going to get high on your own supply. Yeah, man. exactly. <laughs> it, it's not, you know, it's not an, um, right now, I guess it's sort of like the easiest sell would be whiskey because people are going nuts for whiskey right now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy the way that markets, and we've been talking about it on the show a little bit lately, about how the whiskey market's been, especially, well, specifically the American whiskey market, yeah. has just been, like, out of control. Yeah, there's no signs of slowing down either. Yeah. Gin's a little bit more of a, um, it's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a tougher category, it's a tougher sale, but, you know, you find the right niche, like, with our product. I think the one thing about gin that people don't realize is gin is not gin. I mean, you could have... 20 well-made gins side by side um and they might all taste different well i think that's i think that's true of any category i mean like think about i mean rum is probably the one that, yeah. that changes the most from terroir location you know like the different cane you know or molasses the way it's processed like the way it's aged you know like sure. rum you rum is not just rum you know rum's a white category but but there's much more i would say um uh, the gin, you know, category is broader. You're going to have more difference in taste of mm -hmm. gin, even dry gins, than bourbons, for example. Yeah. I mean, because there's no real, like, rule with gin. It's like it has to have juniper. Yeah. And then anything else goes. And that's Yeah, exactly. And th but that's what's really cool about it, yeah. you know? You've got a tasty platform, like a nice, like, blank canvas Exactly. Except, well, a, a juniper-colored canvas yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you get to paint on, you know? Yeah, that's got to be the backbone. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that, uh, especially, you know, since we started, you know, 10 years ago or however long ago, you know, uh, the cocktail renaissance of, you know, the, the 2000s, um, it's really interesting to see how gin has become more of a... Like, it, not even, like, not even, like just the gin tonic like just the classic martini and like seeing how people actually res like respect it in a different way than they were like when all these martini bars were popping up in the 90s and it was like anything that was in a v-shaped glass was called a martini yeah yeah and now we're back to like all right let's Absolutely. talk about this gin yeah and let's talk about this vermouth you know yeah and we're probably just getting started actually if you think about it you know yeah. we're, we're sort of in a bubble here when you you know um, when you think about New York, but it's it's around the country. I think we're just yeah. getting started with, you know, everything coming back, cocktails, gin cocktails specifically. Yeah. I mean, dude, I was actually going back to what I was saying about seeing your stuff everywhere. I was in, uh, I was in D.C. like a month ago, and I was like, God damn it, Stevens everywhere <laughs> down here too. It was amazing, man. And he, that's some tough competition because you've got Green Hat, which is like the local hero. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And so, <laughs> so it was pretty crazy, man, to see it, see it like everywhere yeah it was awesome so congrats on that thanks 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 so uh, as far as like martinis go how do you like to make a martini for yourself i tend to like it like um two to one or three to one you know i'm not mm -hmm. not super dry maybe a dash of um orange bitters i've been using the um you know the the dolan dry just mm -hmm. like a, a, a sort of like a european style vermouth i like a lot of the new um american vermouths that are coming out but i don't find them really suitable for a martini you know i drink it more like on the rocks yeah, 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 yeah. To drink it like more like traditional style. How like, they drink it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. Because there are a lot of them that are just like super, like esoteric and like kind of experimental. You kind know? of in your face, you know. Where like yeah. a martini, you want something just a little bit more, uh, a little more subtle. I guess is probably the word you, I'm looking for. Yeah, you want it to be a little the the vermouth to be a little bit more subtle, but you also want it to like you want it to you want it to participate 
but you don't want it to take over the party. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? You, and want- you sort of want to have to think about what, what you taste in there, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than hitting you in the face. But I, 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 I don't really drink that many martinis. I'm really much more of a, gin as you know, gin and tonic. Yeah, <laughs> totally, man. I, you know, honestly, like, I... And I, I was the same way. Like I started when I started drinking gin and tonics, I was Tanqueray tonic guy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, honestly, like, I'm probably gonna get some hate mail for this, but I, dude, I, I kind of, I have, a, I have just like a soft spot for like Schweppes. Really? You know? Okay. I, I, I mean, like, I typically have like, uh, hmm. like Fever Tree, yeah. or like I'll make a tonic syrup. But man, sometimes like when I'm just sitting on my porch. Drinking a gin and tonic, Schweppes, big old, big old splash of uh, Schweppes on top huh. of a, a little gin, you know, and then just like last uh, year, um, in the New York Times, I think it was from Francis Neros and uh, uh, Eric Asimov and somebody else, they did like a tasting of the uh, of tonics, and they, it was like a blind test uh, taste test, and I think Schweppes came out number one, and Fever Tree finished last, and I was talking to Frankie, you know, um, I don't know, a couple months later, and he was explaining to me that a lot of times you like. What you, you like better? What you what's familiar to you? Sure, you know I mean, what I'm that's, saying. Absolutely. So it didn't necessarily mean that Schweppes was the best tonic that was tasted, but it was, I guess, because it was familiar. People, you know, it gets higher ratings because yeah. of that. Uh, yeah, that. But also, like, I like man. I'm a, I'm a huge seltzer drinker. Like, I I mean, I go through a cartridge for my Soda Stream machine like once a month. Man, I just yeah. blast through it. Yeah. So I like that bigger, like fizzier bubble. Less you know. of like the champagne quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a place for it, but also it's it's dependent on like who's making the drink. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, there's so many elements. Like you can't just like dump like Q tonic over ice. You know, because it'll it'll kill it. Yeah. You have to like pour it delicately like over the back of a spoon down the side and then that's it's a beautiful elegant gin and tonic yeah you can totally screw up a gin and tonic by who's serving it by yeah the, you know not just the wrong tonic but uh the wrong proportions of gin to tonic well i mean honestly dude i yeah i mean i like mine like like i always do like one to seven you know people really? interesting i go like really light on the gin and pretty heavy on the tonic because huh. that's that's i feel like you know i want to have Multiples, you know. I don't want to get wasted. I want to sit around and hang out and drink them, you know. I was at this place on Chamber Street called Racines, which is actually a wine bar. It's fairly new. It just opened up a couple months ago, and I ordered a green hook and tonic. And I see the way the guy is, is pouring it. It's cracking the ice, and he's, um, you know, he's zesting the lemon into it. And then he takes a bar spoon and he pours Fever Tree tonic down the bar spoon into a wine glass. And I said, "Where are you from?" And he said, "Best country." I knew it. I, I, I knew he was the guy was Spanish. You know, dude. Yeah, the, the serious about the gin and tonics in, in Spain. It's just like that's a huge, huge market. Yeah. Like that's like their drink. But they, it's you know, just in the same way that in you know, in the United States where we take the martini and mess around with it and experiment and change it up they are really hardcore about their gin and tonics yeah i think one of the reasons it's it's uh the gin and tonics getting so popular in europe because it's not just in spain i mean it's um in italy it's getting big of course it's always been big in england but uh the swiss couple i met at a tasting the other night they were telling me how big it's getting i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that over there they tend to have drinks when they're eating something Whereas here we just <laughs> drink all the time, you know. Yeah. But gin and tonic is really one of, one of the few cocktails, for lack of a better term, that really does pair well with all food because it's dry, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It does. And I think there's like there's a lot of room to play with. There's, uh, oh man, I'm trying to remember this guy's name, but uh, he runs a bunch of bars in D.C. and one of them is Estadio. And uh, oh yeah, yes. they are. They I have, got my gin there. 
Yeah, they do. I mean, I had your gin and gin and tonic there. Nice, nice, nice. Um, they have it's just some of the best gin and tonics. Did you have the one with the orange and the thyme there? Yeah. Yeah, it's good, right? It's so good. Yeah. So good. But it's like, it's like I, you know, I always say that a gin and tonic should never be just gin and tonic. And I'm so glad to see that, you know, bars are doing that. And you're experimenting and, like, really, like, advancing what a gin and tonic can be. Yeah. And even like Gin Palace, you know, they have their like tap system with gin tonics on it, but they also have like, usually they'll have like three different uh, seasonal gin and tonics. You know? Yeah. I, um, at the Manhattan Cocktail Classic, we just did something simple. We did the Green Point Spritz, which is just three to one of uh, Green Hook American Dry, Aperol, and Fever Tree Tonic with an orange slice. I had that at yeah. the uh, the edible book. Uh, oh, yeah. Book it's of, refreshing, right? It's, like, the edible, yeah, yeah, dude, it's, it's still like, better, you know? It's so good. Yeah, you know, honestly, <laughs> Our director of operations for Primates and Frankies. That's like that's his like morning bracer. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he nice. totally does that. <laughs> I mean, he throws he throws a little prosecco in there too. I think. All right, but uh, yeah, up a notch. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. It's such a good combo. I mean, like you've got the. It's almost like like that's such a good way to do uh, a gin and tonic. When you're especially like at an event and you don't have like the full bar and it's oh, like yeah. you've got but you've got all those flavors that you want in it, you know. Sure. Yeah. It's awesome. Man. I I drink a lot of um the fever tree bitter lemon too, which I think is totally underappreciated. Super British, man. Yeah, it goes great with gin. It goes great with my uh beach plum gin too, which is yeah. sort of like our version of a slow gin. Mm-hmm. Um but I like to see that around at a lot at more bars, you know, because I think it really gin with bitter lemon is just a great drink. Mm. Yeah, I, I I might see if they have it here at Roberta's so we can have some. Yeah, nice. I'll take one. <laughs> yeah. Two. Well, let's take a quick break, and <laughs> then uh, when we get back, we'll continue speaking with Stephen D'Angelo from Green Hood Ginsmiths. Back in a moment. Today's program was brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. And in the studio today, i got my buddy Stephen from Green Hook Ginsmiths. Uh, we were just talking about uh, the progression of the market with gin and with cocktails like 
the martini, but specifically the gin and tonic. And you'd mentioned the uh, beach plum gin that you started making a little while back. That's actually yeah. like this is actually the third year we're releasing it. It's 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 kind of cool because it's it is very much a vintage spirit. You know, the um, fruit changes from year to year. So we just actually uh, released the third vintage like this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's sort of like our twist on a slow gin. Uh, but we make it with beach plums, which are actually a native New York wild plum that are very close relatives of the slow and the damson, which are very traditional, you know, uh, styles of gin or gin liqueur, whatever you want to call them. And you use the uh, you the base the base of it is actually our dry gin the yeah. dry gin yeah and we soak the, the um, we macerate the uh, Long Island beach plums in our American dry gin and stainless steel for seven months we just add a little turbinado sugar unlike a lot of slow gins and damson gins are very very sweet you know very cloying ours is much drier um, it's much more like a gin liqueur than it is a liqueur you know yeah yeah totally I mean it's it's a lot easier to when you're using it in different applications for cocktails, it's a lot easier to add a little bit more sugar. You can never just take it out. Yeah, it's exactly. like when you're recording. Uh, Jack would agree with this. When you're recording, you can't take bass out. Yeah, but you can add bass to it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and that was you know one of the reasons why we kept it as dry as we did because you know in this day and age you figure big application for it's going to be cocktails and as you said you can yeah. always add sweetness but you can't take it away. And you know and experiment with the different sweeteners all along the way too. Sure. You know. Yeah. I think uh, I think the I, you know when um, when the uh, Plymouth Slogan came out, it was kind of a perfect timing, you know. And uh, I I I'm really glad that that opened up that classic category for some newer uh, styles, new newer sti- yeah. newer style like uh, gins, like like the Beach Plum Gin, like Dames and Gins, things like that to come out because yeah. like. You know, we're always looking for more, you know? Sure. And yeah. uh, it, it's really great to have those flavors and cocktails. And, man, it makes a hell of a... Like, I actually like the Beach Bomb Gin in, uh, in, a, in a Tom Collins, man. Oh, yeah. That, that's one of my favorite ways to use it. Tom Collins. Even a Gimlet, you know? It's mm-hmm. um, simple, but it lets the flavor of the spirit, you know, really come to the forefront. And it's very aromatic, too. Oh, definitely. Plum. But it, I think, the, you know, clearly that's based on the, uh, the, the Greenhood Dry Gin. Sure. Which is actually... Like so, yours is a little, and I like this too about it. Uh, one of the things I like about a lot of gins, like Plymouth and Tanqueray, and even Beefeater, like they they don't subscribe to that that eighty proof standard. Yeah. You know, like when you're when you're designing or designing, <laughs> can we say that? Yeah, you yeah. can say that, right? When you're uh, designing a a spirit, it's like I feel like you gotta you, you gotta put it at the proof. That you know, you guys put it where it's home. Sure, know? and and gin is you know traditionally ninety four proof. I mean, mm-hmm. beef eater, tangeray, your those are your really your you know your standard your, you know the gold standard of gins more or less of London dry gins. They're at ninety four proof, you know. Um, and I think like you were talking before about like that one to seven ratio of gin to tonic in your drinks. Think about what happens to that if it's an eighty proof gin. You know? Yeah, the gin exactly. Doesn't really get a chance to to shine. I, you know, for my gin it, it, at ninety four proof. It really allows the uh, botanicals to shine, but it doesn't really drink with the heat or the astringency that you expect from a 94-proof gin. A lot of that has to do with actually how we distill it. Uh, we vacuum distill it, which allows it to be distilled at low temperatures, and that really prevents a lot of the um, aromatics and the botanicals from sort of getting stewed off with excessive heat. Um, so it really drinks with, um, also, you know, obviously it's very aromatic, but it drinks without an astringency that you do expect from a 94-proof gin. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, I think... I've been to your distillery a bunch of times. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, 
I, it, it's such a if you, like when when people get a chance to see it, it's like it's a super small operation. Oh yeah, we've expanded and, since you, I think since you've been there because we're making room for our new uh, product, the Roll Tom Gym, which requires oh, yeah. barrel aging, which requires a lot of space. But yeah, absolutely, people come in there and I think they're like they're like, wow, this I, is it. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's yeah. amazing, and like especially like a vacuum still, like you kind of think of it as like a really big. Like when I first heard of like vacuum distillation, I, it, I kind of thought of this like giant, like weird robotic, like weird looking steel. Yeah. Still, but uh, uh, yeah, it's like it's. Super small batch, uh, super small still. You Absolutely, know, yeah. it's it's awesome, man. Keeping yeah. it really that way. And you had mentioned expanding. Yeah, I mean, we, we um, got to throw some barrels in that place. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the re- one of the reasons we actually had to expand is because in Greenpoint, where we're located, um, all the filming is going on over there. Big time filming. You know, HBO, VH1, and there's really not a lot of suitable distillery space or factory space left uh, at affordable prices. Is it all like, like it's all studio space? It's all it's wow. all going to the filming industry. So Is it like Silver Cup kind of like moving down into... Yeah, I mean, we got Cinema World next to us. There are all, there's a million of them around wow, there. But I didn't know that. Yeah, there's tons of them. Um, but, you know, I talked to my landlord because, like as I said, our f- initial five years was coming up. And I said, I need another 10 years because moving a facility like that no, with yeah. the boiler and everything could cost a lot of money. Um and he sort of implied that if you're willing to take some more space, I'll give you a 10-year lease, you know. Um, but it, it worked, it'll work out fine because, as I said, we need some space for lots of, you know, we got about 30, 40 barrels of gin in there now for our old Tom gin, which we're uh, launching in September. So it fills up pretty quick. You know, you start buying um, bottles in 40-foot sea containers instead of 20-foot containers. <laughs> it, it fills up faster than you might think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's great, man. Well, that just... That's a sign of success for me. Like to, to me, you know. Yeah, let's knock on that table. Um, I think this is made out of real wood. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is knock on your head. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, old Tom Jen, man. Wow. Yeah. yeah we're Five years about ago, that. you know. Yep. You're like, what the hell is old Tom Jen? You know, Geneva. You know, now it's like everywhere you look, it's like there's like Bull Geneva. Uh, there's. Uh, Boomsma, which was one of the first ones I saw before I saw started seeing. Yeah. That was here before Bowles was, actually. Boomsma was? I didn't yeah. realize that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Uda and the Young. Well, as we were uh, talking earlier on, it is it is a broad category, Jan. And mm-hmm. if you taste like a, you know, Bowles, Barrel Age, Geneva next to, um, you know, like one of these modern American dry gins side by side and say, these are both gins, you'd be like, what, are you out of your mind? You yeah, know? It is exactly. a wide category, but it's it's cool when you actually, if you taste all styles of gin side by side and you think about the progression and the time period that that sort of evolution took place over, it's you know really like a 400-year period, you know, and a lot happened over the course of that 400-year period. Happen, man. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally, man. I mean, like, even looking at, uh, you know, American whiskey, it's like, Sure. Some of some of the earliest cocktail recipes that go for you know like American whiskey, it wasn't, they weren't necessarily aged, man. Yeah, <laughs> like or good, yeah, or good, absolutely <laughs> for that matter. Um, but yeah, old Tom Gin, uh, it's a uh, it's one of those categories even in itself that's kind of broad, you know. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, one of the things about old Tom Gin is that it's definitely, obviously, the missing sort of missing link between the, the Dutch, the Hollands gins and the, and the modern gins, but nobody really knows if it was actually like a recognized style, if it was sort of just a slang term for the gins that were prevalent in England during that, that time period. Yeah. Uh, but the route we're taking is, you know, it, it was 
they were really sort of in fashion before the invention of the column still. So the base would have been a, a pot distilled base. So the base it would have had a lot more character to them than the modern dry gins. They would have been a little bit maltier, you know, a little bit more like, um, you know, towards the Dutch style where it's going to appeal to a whiskey drinker just as much as a as a as a gin drinker, or yeah. probably even more so to that um, to that effect. Yeah, I think you know it's it's kind of interesting to me that like when uh, when the uh, Geneva kind of started hitting the market again. How? I mean, there's like there's also this. Uh, we, uh, I had on the the show a little while back uh, people from Silbeso and uh, from what? Silbeso. It's a it's a spirits made out of uh, cacao. Oh, okay. Um, and it's like when you when you think about that, you think about uh, you know Dutch gin and the applications. Like as far as making it into a cocktail. It, you, you have to completely kind of like shut off your your thoughts about like what what your like is, is this a gin or is this a whiskey? It's like you kind of have to like approach it with a whole new palette and like a whole new mindset. And like just with that Solbeso you did as well because it's like it doesn't taste like chocolate, but every time you use it, people are like, oh, I want to do some something I would do with like chocolate with this thing. Yeah, and it's like no, no, just. Make an old fashioned. Taste, out of it. <laughs> taste, yeah, start out with making an old fashioned. Yeah, act. When I drink the, the uh, like the Bowles Barrel Age or even Allen's uh, um, Chief Kiwana stuff, I make a Sazerac with it or an old fashioned. Nice. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good call. I haven't done that yet. Actually, I'm, I'm going to do that later. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, like, well, especially this uh, old Tom Gin we've been working on for a little while. Yeah, uh, absolutely, bar- it's barrel aged. Yep. It's uh, been aged for a full year, and um, we use bourbon casks, but we bleach them out pretty well and finished in an Oloroso sherry cask, so um, really excited for it. Yeah, and it's super just ready for an old-fashioned, man. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah, Martinez is old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Pink gins, which I hope pink can, gins. can oh, yeah. get popular, you know? Yeah. Just some old-time gin with some Angus you've, you've been Yeah, you've been pushing the pink gin hard, I have man. because <laughs> it works really well at it. That's why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, that's going to come out in the fall, right? Yeah, September 15th is uh, is when we're looking to launch. Nice. Definitely. Yeah, we think that um, one of the things that I think people don't realize is that gin sales really go down in the uh, in the cooler months. And it's the reason is it's not so much on-premise. When, when I say on-premise, restaurants and bars, it's really what you lose is the casual sort of gin and tonic drinker who picks up a um, you know a bottle of gin when it's 95 degrees out to make gin and tonics with that a barbecue. You lose that just on that first cold night in October yeah, all the true. way through that first hot week in May. You know what I mean? Yeah, true. Um, so this, our old Tom Gin is definitely um, going to be a wintertime uh, mover for us. Yeah. We hope so, at least. Yeah. It's not well. I mean, like the only people I could think of that still like reach for the gin and tonic in the fall are like bartenders when they get off their shift. I like, drink gin and tonic all year round. Me too. But I'm not normal, so. <laughs> well, that's yeah. why that's why we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Uh, we're at the end of the show, man. Great. Well, that, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. And it was great talking to you, talking about gin. Yeah, I did. I mean, that's that's what we do. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so, what's the website? Oh, uh, GreenHookGin.com. GreenHookGin.com. Yep. So everyone go check it out. At GreenHookGin on Twitter. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Tweet at him. All right. Cool. Steven, thank you so much again for coming on the show. And can't wait to see you down uh, down at Tails if Absolutely. you're going to be there. All right. Cool. Take care. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.